0: the following program is sponsored by fairly spiritual on kcis hey everyone it's dr doug Burch, and you're listening to the fairly spiritual show so disney just announced that they're reimagining their very popular splash mountain ride to be less racially insensitive the original ride was based on a very controversial movie called the song of the south they're going to scrap that design and designed it after the movie The Princess and the Frog, which contains Disney's first black princess. What does this say about our culture? What does it say about race relations? How should Christians respond to such things? We're going to talk about this in detail on today's Fairly Spiritual show. Please join me. This is Dr. Doug Bursch, and you're listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. On today's show, I want to look at a big event that Disney just announced. Disney announced that they're going to take their ride, Splash Mountain, which is always ranked as one of the most popular rides at Disney, and they're going to reimagine it. And they're going to remove all the characters and remove the plot line that Splash Mountain is based on. And instead of having it based on that plot line, uh, they're going to have it uh, based or loosely based on the movie The Princess and the Frog. And that movie, The Princess and the Frog, is uh, the first Disney movie with a black princess. I want to look at this because I think what's happening here can teach us something about our larger cultural context. Sometimes when we look at race and racial injustices, we look at things that we think are extreme and that we don't do. You know, things that we never liked or things that we always thought were wrong, and we're like, "Yeah, you know, that we should get rid of that, or that's wrong, and and people need to repent from that." But we have a more difficult time looking at things that we sort of loved. Not that we sort of loved racism, but we sort of loved uh, cultural images cultural representations, that within those representations, there were things that weren't quite right. And as a, a white person, I might have said, well, you know, I love that movie, and there was that one scene that, oh, I didn't really like that, or, or you know, I, I, I love that ride, but I was a little concerned with its source material, but, you know, they didn't focus on the racist stuff, they just focused in on some happy stories about a, a rabbit and a fox and a bear. Uh, this is what is happening, I think, for many of us in a good way. Is as you grow, uh, you grow in your awareness of what's right and wrong. As humans, we need to develop and grow. I think it'd be terrible if somebody came to me and said, "Doug, you're exactly the same as you were when you were 20." The goal for me throughout my life is to gain greater awareness, particularly in a culture that has history, uh, you know, recent history and past history. Of tremendous racism and tremendous injustices uh, of whites against blacks, and so in that context, I think it's it's good to look at this. So I'm going to look at this in a little bit of detail. If if you're not familiar, uh, Splash Mountain is a log flume ride. Uh, it originally opened in Disney in 1989 at Disneyland. Uh, it was so popular they also opened it at, at Tokyo Disneyland and at Disney World as well. And uh, for me, one of my favorite rides. Uh, So I I just went on it and enjoyed it. And what I would do is I did know the history, and I've done a little bit of research on this, so this isn't just something I'm reacting to in the news, but I did know the stories that uh, the ride was based on. I didn't know the movie it was based on because the movie it was based on, Disney uh, has not re-released. Disney themselves realized that the movie was particularly uh, problematic and racist. Uh, The Ride is based on the Disney movie The Song of the South, which I think came out in 1943. I might be a a year off on that. But that movie was a live-action animated musical film produced by Walt Disney, and and it was very popular. And that film uh, revolved around the story of there's basically this little white boy who goes to visit the family's plantation. There's problems in his family, and he's processing all these struggles and his frustrations, and there's a character by the name of Uncle Remus and Uncle Remus is this stereotype that we've all grown to see and understand is not a good representation of any person let alone blacks but Uncle Remus is a happy elderly man who tells people stories about how you know stories that teach lessons he he exists in a very stereotypical way of what we would call idealizing are whitewashing plantation life. Uh, that movie has not been released. Uh, Disney believed it was racist. Uh, in fact, in many years, I think the last time maybe 73 or 1974, it's been a while since it's been released. They don't have it on Disney+. Plus. They don't let people see it because Disney themselves, for a long period of time, have believed that that movie is racist. And when you look at it, um, a couple of the reasons... Uh, that it, it it seems racist. And I've actually watched clips on YouTube and tried to, to see the movie. And for me watching it, I found it profoundly racist. It has this image of plantation life where all the black people are happy just to serve the white people and to meet their needs. It also has this very disturbing dialect. It's the kind of dialect you see in, in old films and in old writing where uh, it's a white person trying to write what a black person would sound like. And it's extreme exaggerated black vernacular uh, it's just a style of that and you know what i'm talking about it's that extreme menstrual show kind of dialogue and when you watch it you realize all the characters there their purpose is to help the little white boy Their purpose is just to talk about how great things are now, and it's after slavery, it's during Reconstruction, they're living on the plantation, and they're happy with these roles, that their role is to serve the white people and to be thankful that slavery has ended. It very much is that kind of vibe. Uh, When the movie came out, uh, the song zippity Doodah" won the Academy Award for Best Original Song. And again, in that song, you can even see some of that exaggerated uh, white version of black vernacular. Everything is satisfactual. Um, Again, you see, well, Doug, you're exaggerating this too much. Well, again, those kinds of songs and those kinds of lyrics are are basically, uh, white people would say, this is how a a black person might sound in Reconstruction South, and here's a song, a happy song, uh, Uncle Remus might sing. It's hard to talk about these things in such a polarized culture, but I'm just trying to talk to you as honest as I can here, of how I've seen these things, and and you might see them a little differently. Here's one of the realities. When that movie came out, the lead star who played Uncle Remus, James Baskett, and, and again, in one level, as that's the only acting job he could have in Hollywood, the acting jobs that he could have were also acting jobs that put him in a place of a stereotypical place. So the actor's who portrayed these roles were really in a difficult situation. At one level, the ability to have a career, to be able to make money, to survive in Hollywood. In order to do that, they had to take roles that put them into stereotypical categories. To show you the time that the movie was released in, James Baskett, excuse me, James Basket, who received an honorary Academy Award from the Academy Award, uh, he did not even attend or was unable to attend the film's premiere in Atlanta again, this is set the movie in Atlanta, Georgia, and this idealized concept of plantation life, he was not able to attend the premiere because Atlanta was a racially segregated city, and he would not have been able to sit with the whites and not have been able to go to many of the festivities that were associated with the premiere. As you know, that's, that's incredibly troubling that the star of this movie, uh, who's used to sell tickets, is not allowed to actually be at the grand opening, or at the premiere. Uh, So, the movie has a lot of racially divisive stereotypes and just racist uh, tropes. And at the time, and if you just think, well, Doug, this is revisionist, at the time, there were many leading black leaders who expressed that they felt the movie was not an accurate portrayal of plantation life or race relations, and there were some minor protests at certain theaters. So this isn't just, oh, now we're insensitive, but back then everyone was okay with it. No, everyone was not okay with it. And particularly some of the black leaders of the time were not okay with that representation. But I want to get a little deeper here. This movie is actually based upon source material. And the source material is by Joel uh, Chandler Harris. Joel Chandler Harris is a white man. And he grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. At one time, uh, he worked in an apprenticeship uh, on a plantation. And Joel Chandler Harris was a a newspaper man, and he would write articles where the articles had this premise that this fictional character, wasn't a real person, this fictional character, which he called Uncle Remus, would come into the newspaper and tell stories and talk about life, and then he would relay the stories of Uncle Remus. Well, these stories were so popular that they began to be syndicated or shared throughout the U.S. and other newspapers, and eventually they turned into books. Now, these books were written between 1881 and 1907, and there were seven Uncle Remus books. Now, the author, uh, Joel Chandler Harris, again, a, a white man who grew up in the South, said that these were the stories that he heard Uh, from blacks, that these are the stories, you know, these are the traditional folk stories, are the folk tales. And then he was sharing these stories, but he would share these stories again through the voice and through the fictional character of Uncle Remus. And I read these stories as a kid. We had a couple old books. Again, these were written like in 1881 to 1907. I remember reading these stories and the stories were about Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Fox and Br'er Bear and a few of the stories that the Song of the South uses. And those are the, the animals that you see in the ride for Splash Mountain. They're stories from 1887 to 1907. They're from this man who uh, lit, worked on a plantation uh, as a, you know, basically apprentice and then uh, took stories, made a, a fictional black character to tell the stories that uh, he said that he heard in these plantation settings. The problem with those books, and if you read the books, you find the same issue. They're written in this extreme uh, exaggerated white version of what blacks talked like. It's exaggerated language. It uses all the racial tropes. It's not uh, a, it's a representation of black people from a white person's perspective. And from a white person's perspective who's idealizing plantation life in the South. Uh, There's many things wrong with this, and I just want to get into a few of them. Uh, One of them is that the author himself is white, and he takes these stories, let's say even if the stories truly are exactly true, like he just literally heard these stories, and word for word he wrote them down the way they were spoken. Let's just say that was true. I don't believe that's true, but even if it was, what he's doing is cultural appropriation. He's taking from uh, black culture and then using that writing stories and making money off of their stories, and telling those stories through his own white lens. Now, as a kid, I didn't even think that was wrong. I didn't understand the concept of cultural appropriation. I thought, well, you know, this is kind of racist, the language, but it's good that he's telling these stories that that blacks told uh, one to another, and so in some ways, you know, he's lifting up that voice, and that's not, you know, that's not a bad thing. He just does it in a little bit of a racist way, and I know even that sounds terrible, but that's That's the world that I grew into. But as I've grown older and become more educated, I realize that there's something extremely problematic with white people going into a black culture, taking their stories, taking what they create, and then repackaging them in a way that suits a white audience and making money off it. We know that's the same history of rock and roll as well, that this is a common history of white oppression, of going into black communities Taking what we like of it, or don't like of it, and then repackaging it in a form that best suits the white audience. That cultural appropriation is a form of racism. Another problem with this is, uh, these stories of Br'er Rabbit are trickster stories. It's a common thing in all cultures. Tricksters, where you have someone who deceives people, tricks people, is clever. Now even if the black community at that time told these (laughs) trickster stories, um, those are told within that own culture. It's one thing that within a culture those stories are told to one another. It's another when someone outside that culture or outside that race takes those stories and repackages them in a white context. If you read those stories, what you find is almost every character in those stories is ignorant is foolish, is dumb, is simplistic like a a little child, and the only one who has some redeeming quality for the most part is Br'er Rabbit, and Br'er Rabbit is kind of just not very serious in life. He's just tricking people and finding ways to get out of bad predicaments. All of those stories are told where Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Fox, Br'er Bear, and uh, also every one of the characters, they're all speaking in this exaggerated, vernacular that's supposed to be black vernacular but it really is a white racist conception of how blacks speak. So what's happening here is that whites are taking this culture and basically it's laughing at it. Look at all these foolish animals who all talk in this simplistic tone. It it basically is an overlay of this idea of, you know, we have this simple plantation life and there's these simple black folks and, you know, they're kind of sweet and nice and they don't know much and a lot are foolish and silly. And then there's, you know, this one guy who's a little smarter than everyone else. This the danger of it is we've taken those stories out of its cultural context and used it for another race or another cultural context. I'll give you an example of this, and I want to go deep on this today. Um, the the black comedian uh, Chris Rock, it, he has one particular routine, and some of you might be familiar with this. Where in that routine he talks about the things that he thinks are wrong with certain people within black community, and so he he talks about the rights and wrongs within that community. The original. Uh, comedy routine that Chris Rock does is as a black comedian speaking to primarily a black audience, he talks about struggles within his own community. Other white people have heard his uh, comic routine and they've used that routine to justify and defend their opinions about about black people. They've taken it out of its cultural context, taken the words that they want to use their agenda, and used it in a different context. That is another form of cultural appropriation, and it's another thing where we become racist, where we take something out of... It's one thing for a group. It's for instance, if, if I'm with a bunch of Christians, and I'm joking about how Christians can be this and Christians can be that, and, and we, we all know we love each other, we all know we have the same faith, we all know we have the same expression here, that's a different form that if someone who's a non-Christian takes what I say and now uses it for purposes to prove a different point to prove a point that all Christians are idiots, or dumb, or not very smart. or When we take it into a different context, it has different meaning. I'll get a little even deeper here, and I know some people are going to be offended by this show, but I have to be stand before God and be honest before my conscience. And I'm not immune to these issues as well. I've had to go through a process myself to see the racist tropes, the racist behaviors, the cultural uh, racist baggage that I just accepted and said, oh, you know, it's not that big of a deal. But ultimately, a white author creating a character called Uncle Remus to tell stories about black people is a classic minstrel show kind of reality. Minstrel shows where white people would put on blackface, and often it was even white band members would put on blackface, and then they would play black music. And so it was a way again to take music from another culture to bring it to a white audience. And then in that sense, the same kind of thing now with creating this new black character, they could speak on behalf of blacks, but use exaggerated language to create black people into the image whites wanted blacks to look like. This is that same reality. A white author creates a black character to tell black stories. It's a way for the author to put on black face. Now, that seems very strong, and if you look at the life of that author, he doesn't seem to be someone who would be an avid racist. He's someone who's for Reconstruction. He's for at some level, for there to be progress for blacks, and for there to be some form of racial um, unity or health within those communities. But the simple problem is, he doesn't have the right perspective And I personally think he doesn't have the right to take someone else's stories, to reframe them in his own racist context, and then to present it to another group for different purposes. That's the source material for the movie, The Song of the South, which eventually becomes a ride. Now I wanna go into this a little deeper. Um, I'm a history major. And one of the things that happened during the Great Depression is there was the formation of the WPA, the Work Progress Administration, Uh, the works progress administration now the goal of this was basically to put people to work so there were governmental jobs created so that people could earn an income and could work one of the things that the wpa did is they had people go out and interview blacks who had been in slavery and now were out of slavery so older black men and women who talked about their days in slavery and what you find in these interviews is that the interviews are done by white people and because they're done by white people they change the interview based on their own prejudices. Some of the interviewers never give the words of the blacks they're interviewing. They just put it in their own words. They just describe, and if you read them, some of them are incredibly racist, incredibly paternalistic, looking down upon people. So they don't even let them say their own words. They just say their own. They just write what they think, or they summarize what the the black person was saying that they're interviewing. Others in these interviews will correct the language of the black people that they're actually interviewing. So they change their language to be more like quote unquote white language. Others then will exaggerate the language and they write in these extreme kind of buffoonery kind of language as an exaggeration of what blacks might talk like. What you find when you read through these interviews is you don't know if you ever really get a clear picture of the people who are being interviewed how come because their voice is not being heard their voice is being heard through a white filter and that's one of the biggest struggles of racism even well-intentioned realities if it's done by white people it is filtered through their conceptions it's a fascinating study if you just read through those interviews so so what did christians do with all this well this is what I want to get at. One of the things that I've thought about is, I believe there's that's racist material. I believe Disney should retheme their ride, even though I love that ride. Uh, I, I can no longer hold on to what I used to do. I'd go, well, you know, these stories are okay, and although it's based on a racist movie, they don't include that part, and, and you know, the vernacular might not be quite right, but, you know, the intentions are good. Well, you know what? Enough. Enough justifications. It's like a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's just enough. It doesn't need to be there. We don't need to cause that harm. It's just time to move on. It's time to have a better, more inclusive example. You can't just say, well, 10% is wrong or 5% is wrong. Just that tinge that's in there, just the foundations is enough to say, that's enough. It's almost like a familiar spirit. You know, I believe in the Bible talks about familiar spirits. It means there are spirits that we serve that are contrary to God, but they're still familiar. We just think, ah, you know, that's just how life is supposed to be. I see a familiar spirit like this. If you were looking at a a banquet table, honoring all the people in your life, and there were all the people you greatly respected. You know, you had Mother Teresa there, uh, maybe Martin Luther King Jr. and You had every person that you greatly respected, and then sitting among them was a demon. A demon just sitting at the table, smiling, acting like he belonged there. Well, that's what racism has become in America, that we can have things that we love. And we say, oh, I love this ride, and I love the music, and I love the drop, and it's, it's fun. It's, it's a table that I like to go and eat at. It's a ride I like to experience. But sitting at that table is also a demon. Sitting at that table is also racial stereotypes and oppression. Sitting at that table, even, even highlighting plantation life with the tremendous sufferings that occurred and the abuses that occurred even in Reconstruction after slavery is allowing for a familiar spirit to stay at the table. And we're in a culture right now where we're saying, you know, no more, it's time for that demon to leave. No more, we're not gonna justify it. There's no reason to justify that demon. It doesn't need to be at this table. It shouldn't be at this table. We shouldn't have to overlook it just because that demon has been there for so long. We all have areas where we need to grow. We all have areas where we should be growing, and we don't have to defend and justify our past to make decisions today. Maybe we acted in ignorance in the past. Maybe we just acted because the culture was like that around us. Maybe we acted because we were racist and mean and angry and terrible. Regardless, what is God calling us to do today? You know, the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, I've often told people it's one of my favorite movies. But if you watch that movie, there are like two or three scenes with a black maid. And the black maid is portrayed in an Aunt Jemima racist way. There's just no way around it. And I'll tell you why I know this to be true. You don't have to take my words for it. I remember taking my son and saying, oh, I want you to watch this film. And... And I want you to see you know, how much I love this film. And I always focus in on the white characters, right? I'm just focusing on, I'm just, oh, you know, that's, that was the time and that scene passes and let's just move on. But when he saw that, he said, how can they treat that woman that way? That's wrong, dad. And when he said that, I realized it's time for these things to go. The things that are wrong are wrong. And with clear eyes, we need just to just say, no more. Look at those areas in your life. What's really important? to hold on to the last vestiges of racist ideology, or to have a better witness. Let's welcome efforts that have a better witness. At least that's what I'm going to try to do. Thanks for listening to today's show. I'll see you later. Here's the number to text 360-818-4513, 360-818-4513, or go to my website, fairlyspiritual.org. Fairlyspiritual.org. Love you.